Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we want to hear from you this morning. Speak to our hearts. Speak through your word. Your word is true. Honor it. May your spirit move in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is good. That's right. God is good. Do we believe that? Rick Warren said, I don't have to understand all God does in order to trust him. I just know he's good, wise, and loves me. This story this morning, this simple story with a daring truth, raises the question of whether we can trust God that he's good, wise, and loves me when he loves others. Let me say that again. This story raises the question of whether we can trust God, that he's good, wise, loves me when he loves others. And it seems wrong to us. And when it seems wrong to us, what it does to us. Let's turn, if we haven't already, to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read the first 16 verses together. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. 
But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to the last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Here's a tip to trusting God. Get used to to God's goodness. Get used to the goodness of God. If you're taking notes and you want to fill in those blanks. In fact, those blanks are filled in by grace. The word grace. Get used to good becoming grace. And second, get used to getting good right, not wrong. And then finally, the last point is get used to good changing our answer. Changing our answer. Well, let's look at that first point. Get used to good becoming grace. We're used to good as just and equitable. We're not used to good as grace. Well, you know, you know what I mean? We are. We who've experienced God's grace, we who've been touched by it, the thought that God loves even me, that he doesn't hold my wrongs and faults and sins against me. They've all been forgiven on the cross. I'm acceptable to him. I come as I am. That's grace. It's not my performance. It's not my pedigree. It's not what I've accomplished or earned. That, as we sang, allows me to run into his arms. To know his embrace. His full and complete acceptance. We know that as grace. So we understand that. But you see, the, the particular point of view of this parable is not me. It's another. It's when God, in his goodness, gives that goodness to another who's undeserving. That's grace. That's when good becomes grace. And I know it makes sense up here. It makes sense to me. But when I I live life each and every day, I don't live expectantly like that. I don't expect good to become grace. I expect good to be even Stephen. You know? And that's the power, I think, of this parable. That's what has touched me so deeply this week. Because this is a parable, this is a simple story about good distributed to those who have not earned it. And how I see that, how I see the one who distributes that good to someone who's not earned it. 
And, and I'll admit, I think part of this, I think what, what is unsettling about the implications of God's goodness is that just as we know and we're reminded from the Old Testament and the Psalter that, you know, God pours out his good on the righteous and the unrighteous. And that's, that's part of the unsettling aspect of God's goodness that I think this story is intended to awaken in us, to appreciate that we should see God as that way. It seems to me, in my experience, that I have a tend to want all of God's goodness to be stamped with the cross. In other words, it's distributed when someone has, has bent their knee at the foot of the cross. And that's not always the case. Not always the case. It's not the case. And so, we see here in verse 2, there's an agreement made. A denarius for a day's wage. It's a standard wage. It's a good wage for a day's work. A day's work is 12 hours. The work day begins at 6 and it ends at sunset at 6 p.m. And so that's why in some of your, your readings, uh, depending on the translation, it'll say, and then he went out at the third hour. Well, that'd be 9 a.m. 6, the third hour, 9 a.m. And then the... The, the, the sixth hour, which would be 12, then the ninth hour, which would be three. And then he went out the, at, the, at the fifth hour, which would be 5 p.m. Okay, so not the fifth, but the 11th hour, which would be 5 p.m. And so there's an agreement. And the, the principle is very familiar to us. It's, it's what we're most comfortable with. I think it's ingrained in us. I, I think it may be that very reason why that second part of the great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That, that principle of, of equity. Justice is built on that principle of equity. Equal pay for equal work. Dame justice when she stands outside the courthouse or she's depicted in the courthouse, her scales are even. It's the basis of our justice system. Paul in Romans chapter 4 verse 4, he writes, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Paul plays his teaching about grace in chapter 4 of Romans on the understanding of equality. And I think that's especially fitting as he's writing to Rome. Because the hallmark of the Roman was his sense of justice and how everything was equitable. But then, as we go through in verses 3 through 7, verse 4 he goes out that third hour. So obviously, they're not going to work as long. They're only going to work nine hours. 
And he says, I'll pay you whatever is, and it's literally, whatever is just. We could render it right. I'll pay you whatever's right. In other words, even there, we're expecting proportion. Equal pay, equal work. But we get a hint of grace coming. In verses 6 and 7, because the pattern of hiring, which is all the same, is kind of broken. I mean, as we're reading this, the very pattern of the story is broken. And there's a a short conversation. He says, why are you standing idle here all day? And the workers respond, and they say, because no one will hire us. I think those standing around Jesus as he told this simple story would immediately recognize they weren't hired because they're not good workers. Like when I went out to play pickup baseball with my friends as a kid and I was the last one chosen, I knew I wasn't good enough. My yearning was that I would be picked... Second to last. When I dropped a fly ball, they called me Bush League. One day I ran home in tears. We want to be as good as the good people. And he says, even you... Now, that is brought out in our, in our New Testaments with the word also or to, T-O-O. You also go. Even you go into the vineyard. So, we need to get used to good becoming grace because that's where this parable is going. Good becomes grace when it's distributed to the unworthy. And if you think about it, who of us is worthy? We have our strict ideas about right and wrong. And they're reinforced by our circle of friends. They're reinforced by our group, our tribe, our viewpoint. Reinforced by... You know, our province, our, our culture, our society, the way we do it. And if you don't do it our way, and that makes us comfortable, helps us navigate in life. But the fact of the matter is, is if we kind of step outside our comfort zone, sometimes when people read history widely, it's, it's greatly enlarging to their understanding because they begin to see the world a little outside their tribe or their hut. Or when they go on a missions trip and they live where other people live and everything's different. Sometimes with that kind of perspective, it awakens within us an understanding just as if we get the perspective of, of God and we realize, and this is, the, <laughs> this is the story of the Bible, I mean, this is the underlying narrative of the Bible, is that no one is righteous, no one is worthy. 
And yet, when we look around us, there is so much good. When we look at God's creation, so much good. God is good. In fact, there's testimony to it in the Old Testament, in the psalmist. He pours out his goodness on the wicked and the unrighteous. Why do the, unri- why do the unrighteous prosper? Is the cry of the righteous. Why do they get ahead? When I'm, I'm so faithful and loyal to you. And I just don't see myself getting ahead at all. Here is the standard of goodness that's applied to grades of unworthiness. We need to get used to good becoming grace and get used to getting good right, not wrong. Which is the second thing I want to emphasize. Getting good right, not wrong. We get good right. (laughs) I know that. That probably sounds kind of clumsy, huh? I've lived with it a little longer than you have this week. But getting good right. I, I, I get good right when I rejoice in good. When I see it and I just, when I'm rejoicing in it, I'm seeing it as good. I'm valuing it as good. I'm treating it as good. Okay, rejoice is a strong word. Maybe you're like me and you tend to think when you're listening to someone say things, you're thinking, well, I'm not sure I would rejoice. Okay, well, what if we just see it as good? If we see good as good and not bad. Instead of thinking about getting good right, how about if we just, you know, get good as good and not bad? You would think that would be a no-brainer. You would think that would come easy, that that would be kind of our default operating tenor of life. But we get good right when we see it as good, not when we don't. We get it wrong when good makes us envious. And that's what happens here in this story. Rick Warren said, envy is resenting God's goodness to others and ignoring God's goodness to me. Resenting God's goodness to others and ignoring God's goodness to me. Thomas Aquinas said that both charity, which is love, both charity and envy have the same goal. Our neighbor's good. It's just that charity rejoices in it and envy grieves it. Envy resents it. And, you know, living with this story this week, I found that envy is a big word. You know, it it has a lot of, of strut. It has a lot of, you know, kind of presence. And we don't think that envy maybe characterizes or really 
pertains to the little subtleties of envy in our own lives. But, but we have en- envy that courses through our blood when we see others experiencing good and we resent it. And sometimes it's just no more than not seeing it as good. It's not appreciating it as good. It's not praising God for the good in another's life. The fact that they're experiencing good. And it shows up that, you know, envy is a, is a specific word. So, you know, we might define it and then think, well, I don't quite fit that defini- definition. You can't peg me with another word th- than envy. So I'm, I'm not on the hot seat here. But when we begrudge, or when we're jealous, or, or when we are greedy for more of the same, or we are just grumpy that they're getting ahead and I'm not. The crux of this parable is that the first workers have been treated fairly. The others have been treated graciously. And they're envious. The first workers are envious. And their envy turns something beautiful into something ugly. In fact, it even changes the way they see the master of the vineyard. They can't even say he's good. It throws into question his goodness. Boy, that really got to me. I thought, how many times is God working out there in the world doing good, and I don't even see it? In fact, if I were to see it, I, would, I couldn't even give him praise for it. Or when I do see it, I don't think he's in it. That somehow all good doesn't come from God. That somehow if I could take God out of the world, there would still be a good in this world that would thrive and grow on its own? Without his sustaining influence? Without his providential care? I don't think so. I really don't. Rejoicing requires trusting God is good and rehearsing his grace. Seeing the good in that he's doing, just seeing good. There are three things that uh, happen. <laughs> you know, he's paying, his, his foreman is paying, and those who came last, they've only worked an hour. I mean, I'm thinking they aren't even perspiring. And he puts a denarius in their hands, and those who have worked all day, you know, can't you just picture this group? And some, man, are whipped. They have, we bore the heat of the day. We've gone the distance. And they see him put a denarius in the hands of the 11th hour workers, and they're going, they're doing the math. Whoa, This is like, I don't even know, you know, if I were 
clever, I could do this. But, you know, like when we talk overtime, whoa, what's, what's 12 times 1? You know, how do you say that? But then when they only get a denarius, what is it? They grumble. And, and then they, they express that grumbling within and they say, you've made us equal. You've made us equal. How dare you? You see the difference in the spirit of the thing? And I thought, God, I don't, I don't want that to characterize my life. And it does sometimes. Are some of you on Pinterest? Does it make you hate your house? <laughs> or uh, Instagram? Tired of seeing snapshots of people's perfect lives? Or at their peak experience? You know how we kind of sort things out. We always put our best forward. Why does she get to be so pretty? I mean, some of us are still caught in the clutches of childhood hurts and sadnesses because of comparison, not being good enough, not being pretty enough, not being athletic enough. What if we could just break those bonds because we could really start to experience God's goodness and we would be so large-hearted and large-minded because we are our eyes are opened by the cross to see God's goodness everywhere we look. And what a difference it would make in our hearts. And I'll tell you, you'd be the envy of others to know that kind of an inner experience. Why does that guy get all the breaks? I read a, an account this week about a, a girl and her husband. Uh, they put a bid on their very first house. It was that little cottage that they dreamed of. And they just wanted it so bad. And they put in a good bid, but somebody outbid them. And she was, I mean, she just couldn't quite get over that. And then uh, as things uh, unfolded, she was at the gym. She met a, another girl, I guess, working on some kind of a life cycle. And uh, they kind of got better acquainted, and the, the person that she met was so nice, and she invited him over to their house for dinner. <laughs> yeah, it was the people that outbid him. Oh, wow. Yeah, she had a tough time with that. But, you know, isn't that odd how someone who's good, who's done nothing really wrong, but because of the angle, because of our experience, because of our perspective, our sense of right and wrong, all of a sudden, that good is no longer good. And we're, sometimes we're taken completely out of our game. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Do you know what the Lord of the vineyard wanted to do? He just wanted to do one thing. 
He wanted to see that others have something to eat that otherwise wouldn't have enough to feed their families. There were there waiting to work some who would not be able to take care of their families. And he was generous. His goodness expressed itself in grace. And because of that, God's grace was sullied and dirtied and made ugly. I don't want to do that. Get used to the goodness of God. It's going to take an adjustment. I'm speaking from personal experience. I mean, just let this story, let the big ideas of this story just percolate this week. Look around you and see good. Be grateful for the good that God has poured out on your life. And you'll know happiness. You'll know joy. Because gratitude is the doorway to happiness and joy. But you'll also see good around you. God's goodness. I, I don't know if this is your experience. But this really hit me when, as I think about this. Like at Christmas time. I remember I was watching television in the evening and uh, it it didn't sometimes it was the news or sometimes it was some special program but they would highlight people doing nice things for other people you know what I'm talking about can you relate oh some people were packaging things for our soldiers in the Middle East Uh, some were were doing projects for the needy and you know what I thought you know what would go through my mind? I found, and I even mentioned it to Shelley because I was ashamed of myself, but I found myself thinking, well, this is what was happening because it happened so fast. It was like, well, if they aren't Christians, it isn't really good. If they aren't doing it for the Lord, somehow it's, it's not good good. And so I kind of look over at it and, and I've notched it down. I've shaved it down. I've made it something. And I, and I should be going, that's great. Good for you. Do that. That's a good thing to be doing. What if God's working in people's lives like that because that's part of the light that's leading him to the ultimate good? get used to God changing our answer. I want to get used to seeing good and rejoicing in it. I want to welcome it. That's not always my reaction. Verses 13 and 14, the the vineyard master, the Lord of the vineyard, the master of the house says, I didn't wrong you, verse 13. And then in verse 14, he says, I choose to give them what I gave you. And then in verse 15, he asks two questions. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And I thought the right answer is yes and yes. I don't want my answer to the second part of that to be yes. I want my answer to the first part to be yes, and I want my answer to be in the second part, no. 
I'm not envious because I'm rejoicing in what you're doing for those other people. You're good to me, and I'm glad you're good to them, Lord. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Notice the order. Love is kind. If love has no expression, it is not kind. If love is put in a bottle and never opened, or a room and the door is locked, there's no kindness because it's like a tree that falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it. Love is kind because it touches other people. And then notice what it says next. Not envious. Not envious. In life, I want to do addition and not subtraction. Envy is like a person who's only been taught to subtract. Where do you end up? Do you know what the word for envy is here in verse 15? Well, of course you wouldn't because it's not translated literally. The owner says, is your eye evil because I am good? There's only one other time, and by the way, the evil eye is used of envy. In fact, in Proverbs 28-22, it's linked with greed and envy. But in chapter 22, verse 9, the good eye is linked with feeding the poor. In other words, being generous, being good to those who are unworthy, grace. And so love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing rejoices in the truth, hears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I know that's what we all want our, in our heart of hearts. If we've been to the cross, that's what we want. We want to love like that. I want to be like that. I think this story will help us. It will help us each and every day. If we start to realize that God is good all the time. He's good to me and he's good to you. And I want to rejoice in that. And it'll set our hearts free. It'll set our hearts free to rejoice in the Lord. To see him at work in ways that aren't predetermined by our personal and individual desires and sense of requirement. And I think life will become more of an adventure for us when we start, start to see God good all the time. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. I want to encourage you, if, uh, if you'd like to pray with us at the close of the service, 
I'll be up here along with uh, the pastoral staff, elders and their wives. Maybe there's something on your heart. Maybe there's an enemy out there uh, because of envy. Maybe there's been a deficiency of joy because of envy. Maybe you'd like to pray about that. Maybe because of God's good, you've been praying for someone else and you would like to intercede for that person or pray for a need in your own life. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ this morning. He's the author of these stories. He's the author of goodness. And if you do not know him and you'd like to meet him, we invite you to come. Whatever the reason, if you want to bring it to the Lord, we invite you to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. We love you, Lord. And we want to love you and see you and rejoice in what you're doing. Our world is infected and broken. There'd be no good without you. So may we rejoice today and rejoice now. And we do in praise. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen.